Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Once you have done what seems wise, once you have done what you can do in a given situation, trust God for His help. Let Him work all things together for good. Let Him bring the precious out of the vile. Let Him turn the wrath of man to His glory. Let Him turn crucifixions into resurrection. When life falls apart, what do you do? That's our subject today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Philip invites us to be real about our fears, but he also challenges us to reach out to God. We're learning from Psalm 46 that God promises to be our refuge and strength. We're at the start of an inspiring series called Psalms of Trust, Statements of Faith. And today's message reminds us that no matter what crisis we face, we'll find our way through with God's help. It's a message titled, When Life Falls Apart, and there's more at ktt.org. After 9-11, I believe in a conversation on the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary, a student was talking to Dr. Dwight Pentecost, and he was asking him what his thoughts were in the midst of this crisis. And Dr. Dwight Pentecost said, my thoughts are this, Psalm 46. And so I want us to turn to Psalm 46, one of the psalms of affirmation, one of the psalms of confidence, one of the psalms of trust in God. I would say the balance of commentators, the majority of Bible scholars, place this psalm in the historical context of the invasion of Judah by the Assyrians. That puts us around 701 B.C. King Hezekiah is on the throne in the southern kingdom of Judah, King Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, has swept across the Mediterranean world. Twenty years earlier, he had invaded the northern kingdom of Israel and captured Samaria and carted off some 200,000 Israelis into exile. And now he was hunting for Judea. So let's come and look at this wonderful passage of Scripture that's been a refuge for God's saints across history. The first thought is, don't fear. When life falls apart, don't fear. During this challenging time in the life of the nation, the challenge goes out not to fear. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Let me put it like this. The Assyrians were knocking on the door of the city, and fear was knocking on the door of their hearts. And I think we can identify with that. None of us, even the best of us, is beyond the reach of anxiety or panic or fear. We can allow things outside of us to upset our state inside of us, and we can become fearful and afraid. And the sons of Korah are reminding us that God is our keep, that God is our stronghold, that His kingdom has never been conquered. His throne has never been toppled. His rule has never been truly challenged. And you and I need to find our confidence there. That's where our confidence is, so that though 
the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and the waters roar, and be troubled, and the mountains swell with a shaking thereof, we will not fear, because God is our help, and God is our hiding place. It's 701 B.C. The Assyrians are sweeping through the Mediterranean world. 200,000 Jews are in captivity and exiled. Judah is the last holdout. Hezekiah is in his keep. He's in his stronghold and he's pleading with God to help. That night, as Hezekiah spread the matter before the Lord, the angel of the Lord went into the Assyrian camp and destroyed 185,000 of them. And the massacre and the mess became apparent at the break of dawn. Can you imagine that as the sun comes up? The Assyrians are gone. And after a little while, double-checking that they're not hallucinating, they go out the city gates into the camp, and they find 185,000 corpses. And Sennacherib hightailing it across the northern border. Help had come right early. Help had come at the break of dawn. Well, my friend, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. In fact, if you study your Bible, you see often that God's help comes at the break of dawn. And it comes just at the right time. When life falls apart, don't fear. And number two, when life falls apart, don't faint. We're going to speed up here a little bit. We're going now to verses 4 through 7. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our refuge. We're moving now from waters that roar and disturb us to waters that are calm and refresh us. I don't know if you've noticed, but given what we have just read in verse 3, the waters roar and are troubled. We now read of a river within the city that makes glad the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So there's a wonderful contrast, and it's deliberate. And it's being drawn by the author of our text between the turbulent waters of the world and the calm waters of the city. That's interesting. And here's what's of further interest. The fact is that Jerusalem wasn't built on a river. When you read this, commentators immediately ask the question, what river? There is no river. Jerusalem was distinct in this way. Unlike other cities, there was no natural water supply, and that made them vulnerable to attack and especially siege. Because the Assyrians had surrounded the city of Jerusalem on all sides, and they were wading them out, and they were taunting them psychologically, and they were threatening them physically. Babylon had the Euphrates. Rome had the Tiber. Nineveh had the Tigris, Damascus had the Barada, the Egyptian cities had the Nile. But Jerusalem had no natural river. David captured the city many years earlier, and this has always been Jerusalem's Achilles heel. In fact, King Hezekiah realizes that. And some years earlier, he built a special secure tunnel. We know it as Hezekiah's Tunnel. And some of us have been to Israel and gone through that tunnel, which was an engineering marvel because it was started both inside the city and outside the city, and they met in the middle. That was the day before sonic sounding and radar 
It's marvelous. In fact, you know where they meet in the middle because they don't meet perfectly, but given what they're up against, it's a marvel. And so what they do under King Hezekiah is they take the Gihon Spring, which is outside the city, and they bring it to a pool inside the city. You can read about that in 2 Kings 20, 20, or 2 Chronicles 32, verse 30. And perhaps, in some ways, that is a reference. The Assyrians may not have discovered Hezekiah's tunnel, and therefore there was a source of water to the city that sustained them and made them glad in God. Water is so important. It's an issue in a crisis. It's an issue in a crisis, and that's what's being talked about here. But here's what I would suggest. While there may be an historical reference here to the water supplied through Hezekiah's tunnel, there is little doubt, it would seem to me, that the river also speaks of the river of God's presence in the midst of them. Look at the language. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. He shall help her. The presence of God amidst the people of God afforded them a river of delights. The promise of God's peace and the promise of God's provision, He would strengthen them and help them, and that help would be strong and sufficient and swift. The people of God have a refuge in God, therefore they will not fear. But they have a river in God, therefore they will not faint. In fact, God in Jeremiah 2 verse 13 is called, what? The fountain of living water. If you study the Scriptures, you'll see that there's a river that flows from the throne of God in Genesis 2. And when we just saw it a few weeks ago in Revelation 22, there's a river that flows from the throne of God. So this river being spoken of here, speaks of the streams of mercy, never failing that call for songs of loudest praise. It is those streams of mercy, never failing, that are available to God's people in the midst of a crisis. God is the source of living water that meets us at the point of our need, that sustains us in life, Jesus, didn't he take up the image of water in John 7, verses 37 to 39, and speaking of how the Holy Spirit within is like rivers of living water, sustaining us and satisfying us and securing us in the midst of our challenges. In fact, I think this thought is captured in the language of John 1.16, which we've looked at on several occasions, where we read, of his fullness have we received grace upon grace. Listen to these words from the great English scholar, Bishop Hanley Mole. The picture before us is as of a river. Stand on its banks and contemplate the flow of waters. A minute passes and another. It is the same stream still, yes, but is the same water? No. The liquid mass that passed you seconds ago fills another section of the channel. New water has displaced it. Or if you please, replaced it. Water in the place of water. Water instead of water. And so hour by hour, year by year, century by century, the process holds. One stream, other waters, living not stagnant, because in the great identity there is a perpetual exchange. Grace takes the place of grace. Mercy takes the place of mercy. Love takes the place of love. Ever new, ever old, ever the same, ever fresh, ever young, for hour by hour, year by year, through Christ. 
That's beautiful. That God is our river of delight. To quote Jonathan Edwards, a thirsty man does not sensibly lessen a river by quenching his thirst. Christ is like a river. A river is continually flowing. There are fresh supplies of water coming from the fountainhead continually so that a man may live by it and be supplied with water all his life. So Christ is an ever-flowing fountain. He is continually supplying his people and the fountain is never spent. Oh, my friends, don't fear because God is your refuge and strength and an accessible and abundant help when we're in a tight spot. And then don't faint. Don't faint. Water is so important in the midst of a crisis. It sustains the body. It refreshes the body. It strengthens the body. It brings vitality to life. And so it is with the presence of God. He affords us a river, a never, ever ending river of love and mercy and kindness and faithfulness. Let's finish this up. Back to our text. Don't fuss. Don't fuss. In the remaining verses, Psalm 46 speaks of a cessation of hostilities and the exaltation of God over man within history. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I love that. Be still. Don't fuss. Don't fret. Now, while it's possible, and many commentators do this, they think that these verses are addressed to the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people, and they're addressing a future time when man's rebellion against God will come to an end. When Jesus returns, and he rules the nations with a rod of iron, And he breaks the bow, and he breaks the spear, and he burns the chariot. That's the language of Psalm 2, verse 9. That's the language of Revelation 2, verse 25 to 27. We could be looking ahead to a time at the end of history when God, through Christ, disarms a world at war with him. But I don't know that we have to go that far. I think it's better to see it in the context of the immediate circumstances. When the text makes plain sense, Seek no other sense. And so I think when we read here in verse 8, come, behold, there are two verbs there, come and behold the works of the Lord. What's wrong to see that simply in the context of 2 Kings 19, where the angel of the Lord kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, and by the morning, by the turning of the dawn, right early, the people of God wake up, and they come and behold the works of the Lord in the devastation of the Assyrian army. Do you want to read it? 2 Kings 19, 35 to 37. So, as we close this morning, in beholding and gazing at what God had done to the Assyrians in one night, the people of God were to realize God's awesome protection and God's awesome power. And here's what they were to do. They were to stop fretting and they were to stop fussing. Look at verse 10. Be still and realize, no, realize, come to see through what you see. Come and behold the works of the Lord. Come and see it. And then when you come and see it, here's what you need to see. God is sovereign. God's power can never be challenged. God's throne can never be toppled. God's people can never be defeated. 
That's what they were to come. They were to be still and know that, see that, comprehend that. The word be still means to relax. The literal Hebrew is to drop your hands, to droop. Practically, many commentators translate it something like take your hands off and see that God is God. Realize there's no one like our God. Come to see that God exalts himself in the demise of the Assyrian army and the humbling of the most powerful man on the earth at that time. He had done it before with Pharaoh. He would do it later with Nebuchadnezzar. The restless heart of the believer is to rest when life falls apart. The fearful saint of God is to learn to trust God more fully. And that's a journey, isn't it, for all of us. Judah was to come to believe, to know, to realize that God is sovereign. I love these words by Warren Wearsby. He says this, Whenever we become impatient with the Father and we get in a hurry, we must remember three orders given in the Bible. Stand still, Exodus 14, 13. Sit still, Ruth 3, verse 18. And be still, Psalm 46, verse 10. If we will stand still, God can go before us and prepare the way as he did for Israel when they crossed the Red Sea. If we sit still like Ruth, God can work for us and accomplish his perfect will as he did with Ruth in relation to Boaz. If we will be still, the Lord will be our refuge and strength in times of trouble, and everything will work out for his glory and for our good. The Hebrew words translated be still means take your hands off. How prone we are to try to manage everything ourselves and tell God what to do. Of course, when we know God's will, we must be prepared to do it when he gives us the signal. So as we close, be still, kindred. Literally drop the hands. Practically take your hands off the situation. Do your duty. Be wise. Be prudent because that's not in contradiction to trusting God. But once you have done your duty, once you have done what seems wise, once you have done what you can do in a given situation to help yourself and help others, trust God for his help. Let him work all things together for good. Let him bring the precious out of the vile. Let him turn the wrath of man to his glory. Let him turn crucifixions into resurrections. Stop trying to take things into your own hands. Let's stop trying to play God. Let God take over. Permit him to prove himself faithful. Remember, then when it comes to your times, they're in his hands. Psalm 31, verse 15. When it comes to your salvation, no one will pluck you out of his hand. John 10, verse 28 to 29. When it comes to success in life, we look for the good hand of God like Nehemiah in Nehemiah 2, verse 18. When it comes to our leaders and our officials, Proverbs 21, verse 1 reminds us that the king is in the Lord's hand and he turns him whatsoever way he wishes. And our every move in life is in God's hand, Psalm 139, 7 to 10. Where can we flee from his presence? We can take the wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost parts of the earth. We can plunge to the bottom of the sea, but even there his hand will lead us and his right hand will hold us. I don't know if you're much of a soccer fan, but if you've been following EPL, Jurgen Klopp is a Christian. He's a very successful soccer manager. 
He was in the Bundesliga in Germany where he took Borussia Dortmund to two Bundesliga championships. He tells us in interviews that he's given that Jesus Christ is the most important person in his life and within history. He has given testimony to the fact that he trusts in the fact that Jesus Christ took his sins upon a cross. And he says this. It's a nice place to wrap this up. When I look at myself and my life, and I take time to do that every day, I come to realize that I'm in sensationally good hands. It's a beautiful little phrase, isn't it? Ergen, Jurgen Klopp, the manager of Liverpool FC, says every day he comes to realize as he reflects on life and God that he's in exceptionally, sensationally good hands. And he said this, I find it a pity if other people lack this sense of security. Although they don't know it, of course, because otherwise they would probably look for it. See, he's telling us the secret to his success, the secret to his calm and confidence in life. It's to realize that each day he gets up and goes about his business, realizing he can control what he can control, but life sometimes gets out of control. He's in sensationally good hands, and so are you. Don't fear. Don't fret. Don't fuss. Don't faint when life falls apart. Amen. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. Today's message is titled, When Life Falls Apart. You can hear all the messages in this Psalms of Trust series online at ktt.org. You can also access messages anywhere, anytime, when you add the Know the Truth app to your smartphone. Well, at Know the Truth, we're committed to encouraging, equipping, and engaging believers through the preaching of God's Word on the radio and Internet. But we couldn't do it without generous, like-minded listeners like you. And Philip, I know you agree. That's right, Wien. Our listeners are a vital part of this ministry. In fact, without the gifts of our Truth Ambassadors and those who give generous one-time gifts, Know the Truth wouldn't be possible. As a listener-supported ministry, it's the faithful financial gifts of our listeners that allow us to plan, produce, and distribute clear, compelling, convictional Bible teaching on the radio and internet, shining the light of the gospel into a needy and dying world. And that's why we need more men and women to link arms with us to continue the delivery of God's Word. And the best way you can step forward to help us in this is by giving monthly as a truth ambassador so that we can have a firm foundation for spreading the gospel across the country and across the world each and every day. You can sign up to be a Truth Ambassador at ktt.org or give us a call at 888-644-8811. You will be helping many navigate their way out of darkness and into Christ's marvelous light. And you'll also receive exclusive resources and messages from me, Wayne. Would you tell them more? Yes, I sure will. When you sign up to become a Truth Ambassador, you'll receive the monthly Accord newsletter with special updates from Pastor Philip and Know the Truth and a Truth Ambassador welcome packet, which includes recently written books by Pastor Philip and so much more. And when you become a Truth Ambassador or give a gift of any amount in May, you'll also receive the book Seasons of Sorrow by Jim Challies. Whether you have a loved one or a friend who's going through a loss, or if you could use some encouragement yourself, in this book, Tim shares real-time reflections from the first year of grief after losing his son, introducing readers to what he describes as the ministry of sorrow. 
readers will learn how biblical doctrine can work itself out even in life's most difficult situations and discover how to pass through times of grief while keeping their faith. And when you give a gift of $40 or more, you can also request the Psalms of Trust personal devotional booklet, along with direct online access to the entire Psalms of Faith series. So, call with your gift today, 888-644-8811, or give online at ktt.org. You can also write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And if you'd like to stay up to date with timely news, events, and encouraging content from Know the Truth, then connect with us on social media. You'll find us on most major platforms when you search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. That's all our time for today. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Come back tomorrow when Philip DeCourcy opens the Bible songbook to Psalm 16. It's a message titled Safe and Sound, and it's coming up Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.